0: Gabala, welcome to the Buddy Ruski show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm really excited to have this conversation uh, with you today. It's uh, been really fun to to do this show. I've interviewed a lot of different people, but uh, I haven't actually interviewed a ton of folks from Durham, sort of from my childhood, from my origin story. So it's nice to get to talk shop with someone who Will understand a lot of things maybe that I reference about yeah. Old Durham. Of
1: course, this is very exciting. So,
0: how uh, how has it been? You, you've moved back to Durham relatively recently. Uh, it's certainly much different than it was when. Uh, we were in high school. What has that transition been like? Has there been anything particularly jarring that you've noticed since you've been here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, like, to me, the thing that was most surprising, um, which I think is probably similar for a lot of folks, is trying to buy a house um, in this area. Um, Even, like, from when I moved back in 2015, it just seems like it's changed uh, drastically. And that, uh, that, like, just the housing market... Uh, was quite a shock to me, um, but I would say also, uh, like as much as Durham is developing like very quickly, and that like there have been a lot of changes just um, with like new businesses and everything developing. That um, I don't know, like to me, at the heart of it, it seems that like Durham is still very much the same, and like the atmosphere, if that makes sense, like, it's still very welcoming, like, super diverse, um, just, like, a fun place to be, and that's been a pleasant surprise that, like, while a lot of it, the landscape is changing, it seems it's still got a lot of its original character, which has been really fun.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's right, and I hope that that continues. I think a lot of people are moving here for those values and things that Durham offers, so um, it's, nice to be able to to share that with folks. Um, for for people that don't know, uh, Anna has a brand new business in downtown Durham, a Moonbelly Company. It's a, Is it a butchery? Is it is it fair to call it a, a butchery? Yeah, you
1: know, I guess that's what would be the best way to describe it. How would um, you describe Moonbelly Company? So I, it's Moonbelly Meat Company is like... Um, a sausage and charcuterie company. So at the moment, I'm only doing pork butchery, which is why I'm kind of hesitant to go straight into calling it a butchery. Um, but I'm doing all of the processing and butchering on my own and making um, sausage and different charcuterie projects by hand. And yeah, that's that's pretty much the bulk of it. Um, the main focus is really trying to utilize sustainable farming and as as ethical as possible farming. So the company that I've been purchasing through is called Firsthand Foods, and they're actually based out of Durham as well. It's um, I think two moms are the founders, and their um, their goal was to try to find a way to connect like local humane farmers to retailers and restaurants because um, they found that that was like a really important value, like within their own homes, was just trying to supply um, meat for their families, and they were finding a disconnect with, like, wow, there's all these farms within North Carolina, but, like, how do we get the food to the table? And so um, that's my understanding, at least, with how they started First Hand Foods. Um, And, yeah, I've been purchasing through them for, like, supplying all of the pork that I use, and it's been a really awesome experience so far. They're, like, really on top of things and very professional. So, yeah, it's been great. That's super
0: (laughs) cool. I, I think you're right that... Uh, There's clearly a um, desire for more conscious, forward business practices in this area, Um, not just on the consumer side, but also on the uh, retailer side as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think being able to provide that network to make that process seamless um, is something that I imagine businesses would be uh, interested in um, attaching themselves to yeah so, for sure um, yeah I, I definitely want to hear more about the um, the sausage and charcuterie business mm. <laughs> um, that you've got going on um, but really I'd like to start where I start with a lot of folks uh, at the beginning and hear a little bit sure. more about uh, what it was like for you growing up in Durham uh, how you got into food um, and and what that journey has been like
1: sure um, so I it's funny I like. Especially, I think, because of the way that Durham is growing and that there are so many people that move here from out of town and fall in love and, like, you know, call this their home now that um, I, like, I wish so badly that I could say, like, born and raised in Durham because it's almost essentially that. I am adopted um, from South Korea, so... Uh, I was adopted very young, though. I was only three and a half months old when my parents uh, brought me to Durham. (laughs) And that's where I spent, like, the majority of my life. I mean, you know, we went to high school together. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny because I feel like, especially for people who are, like, really from here, there's a certain amount of pride that goes along with, like, I'm from Durham. Like, there's just a little bit of grit to it that... um, it's funny seeing the way that things have played out now with the city. Um, How
0: would you describe that, that grit? And cause I, I agree. I think anyone that's from Durham, uh, even before this new Renaissance that mm-hmm. happened downtown, people were very prideful of being from Durham. And I know some of it has to do with being in the triangle alongside Chapel Hill and Raleigh, which uh, particularly when we were growing up, were seen as, you know more affluent cities maybe Yeah, absolutely. You know. I think that's
1: a big part of it is that like I can remember even like in middle school or especially in high school like traveling for sports or things like that where you meet people from either Raleigh or Chapel Hill and it's always like, "Oh, you're from Durham." And it's like, "Yeah, I am." And like I'm proud of that. And I think there's just something kind of fun like I'm still very close with um, a group of girls that we all went to high school together. And, like, as we've moved through life and, like, moved to other cities and different states, that's just still always been, like, a thing, just a a point of contention (laughs) where it's, like, no, like, this is a thing that we're proud of and, like, we're going to continue to rep Durham as hard as possible. Like, uh, even, like, living out west in different places, I feel like I always was keeping an eye on Durham just through, like, social media and the news and things like that. And seeing how it was growing, it was, like... I was enjoying where I was at in these different cities, but also, like, low-key, like, shoot, do I need to move back, like, right now? Like, it looks like cool stuff is happening, and it's, like, continuing to grow, and, like, just always a little bit jealous. Like, I wish I was there, but, like, I'm happy here, too. So...
0: Yeah, I I've, I've wanted to ask younger folks who are growing up in Durham now what they think about the city, and because when we were coming out of high school, the idea of staying in Durham was almost a non-starter. It, you know, there was no... There wasn't a ton of opportunity here uh, in terms of like business prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could, if you were working in particular industries, maybe you could get a job out in Research Triangle Park or something or, or work for Duke. Um, but for the most part, once we graduated, people were like, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to college. I'm like moving away, um, you know, spread my wings. And, and so some of that has changed, I'm sure, now that there are more businesses calling this area home, or at least building satellite offices here. But w- was that sort of the calculus for you as well? Like once you graduated, you were like, hey, "I got it's as much as I love Durham, it's time to do something different. Yeah, I
1: think so. I mean, I went to um, Johnson and Wales in Charlotte, the culinary school, like right out of high school. And of course, hindsight is 2020. And so now it's like, I don't know, it's weird with culinary school. It's kind of like within the food world. It's a little bit frowned upon, I think, just in that there's a certain, I don't know, it's just, it's very expensive and like kind of unnecessary. And so I think, yeah, for me, it was just like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do something within the realm of food. And that seemed like a good way to get out of Durham, um, like going to a different city and enrolling in school.
0: When was the first time that you thought about food As more than just like oh, I have to eat every day, you know, to have energy to do things. Was were your parents involved in the culinary arts at all? Was there something else that triggered this interest in food? Where did that all start? Um,
1: You know, it's funny actually because I think for me, it's almost like the opposite of that, if it makes sense. Like I didn't realize until much later in life that there are people out there that like don't care about food at all, like that they just that they are eating for sustenance. I think for me growing up um, like as a small kid and then through the rest of my life, like both of my parents were very involved with cooking um, and my grandparents also. Um, So yeah, I've always gravitated towards food. I can remember like watching Food Network with my dad growing up and just being like so entertained and uh, like, if my parents would go out for a night, um, even at, like, 12 or 13, I'm, like, at home, like, I'm making the most basic things. But there's just something really cool about, like, seeing raw materials turn into something else, I guess, just, like, the progress of it has, is really cool to me. And then also just, like, the comfort and the nostalgia and just, like, the warmness of eating is, like, it's just such a satisfying feeling. And, and now it's even developed into just, like cooking for others and, and sharing that experience is like one of the greatest joys of my life, I think really truly.
0: Yeah. There is something about cooking and being able to like cooking for yourself and then eating the food. There's a real satisfaction. Yeah. It's so gratifying. You know, I put a certain amount of labor into this and now I get to reap the rewards. Uh, and like you said, when you can share with others, I, I think that that's, um, you know, I wasn't familiar with the idea of things like friends giving in high school, Mm -hmm. but I know that's a thing that I see a lot more, a lot more folks doing now. Um, and and I I love that idea of just like using leveraging food as an opportunity to get together and commune with others. Um, and that seems to span across cultures too. Like lots of different places across the world use food in that way.
1: Definitely. I think that's like one of the coolest things about it too, is that it's like it's just applies to everyone for the most part. Like most people, everyone needs to eat. Most people enjoy eating things that are good. And so it's just cool to be able to like share across like all different lifestyles and demographics that it's something that people enjoy.
0: What is it about, about Johnson and Wales that is looked found? Is it just because like you can learn to cook without the need for yeah, a I teacher? Yeah, what
1: it is, is like, um, just that there's this, Not, like, that it's looked down upon, but just that, like, if you instead just start as, like, a dishwasher or a prep cook and kind of, like, work your way up through a restaurant, like, you can save yourself so much money and, like, actually get paid to be learning things. And, I yeah, I don't want to just, like, throw it under the bus like it was a terrible experience. Like, I did. I'm sure I learned a lot of, like the fundamentals of cooking, and it covers a lot of different things, Um, but I think just because it is so expensive, and then on the other side of things that, like, it's not entirely necessary, Um, I I think that, like, people who cook professionally, there's a certain, like, nod of approval that they get if they didn't go, and they just kind of, like, ran through all of the hoops um, to get to where they are. Came up in the ranks. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It it does seem like, I mean, I don't know a ton about the culinary arts, um, but you know, outside of the degrees or the the professions that require degrees like medical school or being a lawyer, uh, people's minds are changing around the idea of needing Mm -hmm. a degree for a particular um, occupation. And yeah, it would have been nice if we had all learned that lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) I I think about that a lot, too, because I work part-time with a a group based here in Durham called Code the Dream, and we do workforce development for folks interested in breaking into technology, and a lot of them are immigrants Mm -hmm. and uh, refugees, people of color who don't have the uh, opportunities to go to four-year college, Mm -hmm. and so for Mm -hmm. them to be able to get into an industry, uh, a a good-paying, getting a good-paying job in an industry like technology can be difficult, but putting them through these Uh, these coding classes Mm -hmm. and being able to help them with job placement they're able to subvert that in some ways and but yeah that just wasn't a thing sure I think
1: I think you're right though it's like definitely something that is changing or at least the idea of it is kind of starting to change because I feel like 10-15 years ago like when we were in high school it was like you didn't really have another option like you had to continue education and it's like Well, what if I had just taken a year off and worked, or like, what if I, I don't know, did like some kind of specialized trade school rather than going into like a typical associates or like four-year bachelor degree? Is like there are so many options, and I just was not even aware of any of them, really.
0: Yeah, and I would say even community college. I mean, I ended up going to Durham Tech for a couple years, not right after high school, but uh, a few years after high school, and even that, I think Durham Tech was looked at. Almost as like the flunky school. <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I n- and I know what you mean. And it's too bad that it's not like more encouraged as like, no, you can do this in like the meantime while you're figuring it out. But like still continuing to progress, but not like investing, you know, like a huge chunk of money into yeah. a four year degree.
0: Was there something specific during your time at Johnson Wales um, that you feel like you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't gone to, uh, to um, school there?
1: I guess so, but it's it's not really anything that, like, I would apply into the real world, um, which I think kind of ties into, like, why it's so expensive, like, especially the one in Charlotte. When I went there back in 2008, 2009, it was a brand new facility, so, like, all of the kitchen equipment was, like, brand new. Everything you're using was, like, really, really nice, and they have you teach or learn, like, all these different courses that... Some of it is just like I was saying, like very fundamental. Like here's the basics to cooking, and some of it was like a garmage class where you learn how to carve ice with a chainsaw. I was like, wow, this is really cool, but like I'm probably never going to apply this to anything in my life. Um, So that's like, yeah, just a a thing that it's like this was a cool experience, but I'm not really going to use this later on.
0: Yeah, it's like it it opens you up to all these different types of opportunities, but maybe not specialized in a way that is more applicable to like an actual, uh, career that most people, I mean, maybe somebody is making a career out of carving ice, but yeah, right? it seems <laughs> to be few and far between. Well, and then
1: it's funny too. Cause once you get into the workforce, like post degree, I think especially like the generational difference with, like, our parents and us. Like, my mom was always, like, oh, well, like, you should be able to leverage, like, better pay because of your degree. And I'm, like, they don't care. (laughs) Like, no one really cares. Within the food industry, I think especially, it's all about either networking or past experience is, like, really the thing that matters. Um, Because anyone can pay the money and go to school and then slap on that they, like, have this two-year degree. Um, But it takes a lot more to have come up from different restaurants or like worked different positions and that kind of thing, um, I think is, is the way to go if you're trying to leverage better pay or better hours within restaurants. What were
0: some of your favorite things to cook as a kid? Were, were you, what were some of the influences that you were pulling from? Were there particular types of meals that you enjoyed? Were you baking? Was it, um, yeah, I don't know. Were you, were you working with meat a lot as a kid as well?
1: Um, definitely working with meat, pretty often. So my dad hunted a lot growing up. Well, while I was growing up. Um, And God, it kind of sounds gross, but like not even just hunting, but sometimes like there's so many deer in Durham. And like, if there was a deer that was recently hit on the side of the road, and like it was still in pretty good shape, like sometimes we would take that one home as well. Like, I have this, uh, like very specific memory ingrained in my head of being, um, in cotillion at like fifth or sixth grade and like driving back from like Hope Valley Country Club. And I have like my little white gloves on and he's like, all right, we found a deer. Like, I'm going to need you to help me like load this onto the back of the trailer. I'm like, oh my God, this is so gross, but it's just too bad. Like I really, that was a big part of, uh, just like what we would eat growing up just because like there was so much of it. And, you can make a lot of different things out of it. And it's kind of funny that my life has now uh, brought me to butchery because I, at the time, like, as a a young teen, wasn't really paying attention to what my dad was doing at home. And, like, now I'm really wishing that I had paid more attention or maybe spent more time with him, like, while he was processing everything at home. But, like, at the time was just kind of grossed out by stuff. Um, So it's just funny how things work out, that this is now, like, a profession that I'm seeking out
0: yeah that makes sense I mean I I didn't uh, my dad growing up uh cooked a lot for us and he he's a vegan now and even back then didn't eat a ton of meat so I never got that experience either Mm -hmm. of like really digging into like having to I don't know like de-feather a chicken or like all the things I guess you'd get you know if you lived on a farm uh uh, but even I guess like you said with the oversized deer population here it seems like that's a common thing for folks in this area to have is venison, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to have that as part of their diet is, is it particularly, um, how would it compare to like other meat that more people would be familiar? Um, with? Um,
1: I would say like definitely similar to beef, but a lot leaner. So like with sausage making, um, you really need like a pretty fatty ratio fat to lean. Um, so like, If you ever make a venison sausage, like, a lot of times people will supplement pork fat into it. Um, But, yeah, it's got a similar, uh, like, texture to beef, but a little bit gamier. And then, yeah, just very, very lean.
0: Were you working at any of the – not that there were nearly as many as there are now, but – were you working at any of the local restaurants in Durham um, uh, in high school?
1: Yeah, so my dad, after my parents got divorced, my dad, you know, like being a bachelor was like out on the scene. And so he would spend a lot of time um, over at Perizod, uh which is, they're still open, right?
0: Yeah, they're, I, they're the ones over off of Irwin yes, Road. Yeah. yeah, they're in
1: that little Irwin Square yeah. area. Um, So like that was kind of going on. Uh, when I was becoming of age to work, and was already sort of thinking that food would be a good path, or at least like a way to make some money while I was still in school. Um, So I picked up some shifts there, um, like before graduating. I worked um, the pastry station there for a little while. And then other than that, I mean, after that, I went to college. And then When I moved back, like before moving out west, I worked um, for Chirba Chirba for a while.
0: Oh, yeah. The food truck. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It it seems like now if you were to get into the culinary arts in Durham, you'd have any number of restaurants to choose from, styles of food to choose from. uh, And so that's I hadn't really thought about like what the that kind of growth in Durham in terms of our food scene what it would mean for like young up-and-coming um folks that want to work in in the business I always just thought it was like oh we have more places to eat but that, <laughs> yeah, know, right. there, there are lots more opportunities for folks to actually learn and I mean we have what is it James Beard award-winning restaurants yeah here in for the Triangle. sure so it's you know there are folks who really know what they're doing and um since you've been back, has there been a particular place that you've really enjoyed going um,
1: to? I would say probably M. Coco. It's so good. Like, I had heard things, and I still need to try the other M. restaurants, but, like, I've been a couple times now, and I've been pretty blown away uh, both times. Um, I, feel, I feel like I was about to say something. Oh, okay, so that's what I was going to say. It's just that we moved in 2015 first to Oakland, and as as soon as I started learning more about butchery and and all of the things that go along with it I kind of started having this idea in my head of like wow it would be really cool to move home and open like a shop of my own at some point down the road and then from there we moved to Denver and then to Portland and I was really enjoying a lot of these places that I was living and especially with Portland like my friend there is like please don't move like why don't you just start your business here and I don't know, it just always seemed like Durham was a very good market for it. When I would tell people like who aren't from North Carolina or are not familiar with the area, like, oh, I'm moving back home to start this business, and they'd be like, well, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, Durham is always on like every like top 10 food cities that you didn't know about and just like things like that. I'm like, I, r- I really think I have a good shot here um, because it's already a place that people really care about what they're eating. Um And just like networking wise, I I know more people there because that's where I'm from. So that was definitely a big pull to come back to Durham.
0: Cool. Uh, Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So we started to head this direction in a little bit uh, before we went to break, talking about different businesses in downtown Durham, places you've worked, um, other places that you enjoy going. Uh, But why we're here is to hear more about your business. Uh, And so I'd love for you to talk about how it came together. You mentioned that you were interested in starting your own uh, food operation for some time now. But what was it that finally tipped you over into actually putting the business plan together, coming up with the, you know, the name and the logo, just like all that stuff that um, people often, like, don't even think about when they're starting a business, uh, but but have to get done to to get the thing rolling. Um, so if you could, yeah, share a little bit more about that Sure.
1: Um, so I hope this doesn't sound bad, but I think a big part of it was just... Working in the food industry, I think for anyone who's done it, knows that in some ways it's a lot of work for maybe at least monetarily, not like a huge reward. Like you really have to enjoy what you're doing. And and I do. Um, But just finding that like working for different people over the years and as I was getting older, it kind of got to a point where it was like, this is very labor intensive work. And while I am enjoying it, I just feel like if I'm really going to stick with this as like a career path, then I want to be owning my own business. Um, So that was always something I had kind of thought about. And then also along those lines, just that um, like working in restaurant kitchens, like on the line, it can be really, really fun if everything's going well, even when you're super weeded, it's just like, there's, you're like on a high when things are going well and everything's like running out and like going the way that it should, it's great. But when it's not great, it's like the exact opposite and like extremely stressful. Everyone's yelling at you and you're like really sweaty and it's just a lot. So So it is
0: exactly like what Gordon Ramsay makes it look like (laughs) on TV is what you're saying.
1: (laughs) Um, So I think even before I moved away from Durham, I was at least interested in like how can I stay within the food industry? Because this is something that I'm passionate about, but maybe not be like a line cook or a sous chef or something that's going to be like restaurant hours and, and just that atmosphere. Um, what was the
0: hardest part about that? Like, what are the, you don't have to tell any war stories if you don't want, but was there, you know, working, I guess, back of house, you would Mm -hmm. call it, um, what you mentioned the being on a high when things are good and it being a disaster when things are bad. But there is there a particular part of that experience that like really weighs on you to the point where you're like, yeah, I got to I got to get um, out of
1: this. I think just like the stress of it. And then that it's also very physically exhausting that like if you're going through all of that work and you're not having a good time, that it's like this is maybe not for me. Um, and the late and
0: hours too. Yeah, there's just, just a lot of that. factors.
1: Like the hours for sure, because it, it changes like what you're able to do um, like socially and just like in life. If, if I don't know, with like most Monday through Friday jobs, you have a very set schedule. You can plan things ahead of time. But a lot of times with kitchen work, it's like the sous chef is making the schedule like week by week. So if you're like, oh, am I going to be free that like Sunday, four weeks from now? Like I have actually no idea. Um, Like, scheduling was always really stressful to me and, yeah, just just the hours and, like, um, yeah, that it's it's very hard work and um, it's not a great feeling when things are not going well because people get mad and then you just sort of take it out on yourself. Um, So, yeah, I think before I even moved, just the idea of, like, how can I stay within this food industry but sort of pivot what I'm doing – And also, just that I had always sort of had an interest in meat, because it's something that I've enjoyed eating, um, that was sort of, like, wow, if I could find, like, any kind of job within butchery, that would be really, really cool. Um, And then, after moving to the Bay Area, like, the first um, place that I went and staged at, which is, like, an an interview, essentially, um, was this restaurant, Clovenhoof, in Oakland. um, And they essentially like a sandwich shop, but also a whole animal butchery. Um, and they're conjoined. Um, and like a lot of the things that are being processed and made in the butchery side of thing are then used for sandwiches. Um, so I got a job there, just working on the line, which was a lot of fun too. Like I learned a lot. I worked with some really amazing people. Um, Were you
0: working on both sides of the business?
1: Um, So I, I just started like with the sandwich side of things. And um, I mean, and it was really cool too. I think you always hear, like, growing up on the East Coast, they're like, oh, California's, like, ahead of the, like, just in general, like, ahead of all the trends. And especially with food, like, I just don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into. But as soon as I got there, it was, like, every, like, cook that I met and just people that I was working with, it was, like, psh, like, wow, I've never thought to do that. Or just, like, all these crazy things, like, learning constantly and feeling like you're just a sponge, like, trying to absorb everything. And I going into that job knew, like, hey, maybe this could be, they even put it in the ad, like, potential butcher shifts, like, if you're interested, Um, which at the time, too, like, I had no knowledge of anything. And I think that's what's so interesting about butchery is, like, I I feel even kind of weird after, like, the six or seven years that I've been doing this, like, calling myself a butcher because I'm very familiar with pork butchery and, like, could – Totally do, like, a full lamb and chicken, obviously, as well. But with beef, like, steers are so large that even though every animal is the same, like, you're going to have all of the same muscles. Because beef is so large, there's, like, the muscles are humongous. So, like, seaming all of those out, you just have many more options for different cuts of meat, if that makes sense. Like, something that, like, a whole pork shoulder you may keep whole and, like, bone out and make into a roast or – just take like one part of that and use it for something else but with beef like that piece of chalk is massive and there's like many different steaks just within that one primal or sub primal um I guess back to the job it was like oh um you know if you ever want to like learn anything you- you're welcome to come in on a day off um so I did that for about mm, six months probably every day off or so like once a week I would go over and hang out in the butcher shop for a few hours and they would like show me how to break pigs down or show me how to make sausage just like little things like that like learning how to bone out um, certain things there's just a big learning curve there because I think um, probably a lot of people who work in the food industry feel the same way at least this is how it was for me like At the time when I started that job, I had been working in restaurants for almost 10 years but just had very little knowledge about like a ribeye, for example, is, like, maybe the most popular cut of beef. And, like, if you had asked me then, like, f- point out, like, where this is on the cow, I honestly would have no idea. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's just a common sentiment that, like, while a lot of people are familiar with cooking meat, they just don't know that much about it. Um. So all of that was brand new to me. And I'm so, so grateful that the folks over there were, like, so eager to teach because sometimes I think – this industry can get, like, a little bit gatekeepy, just about, like, well, no, this is how we do things. Just, I think, more old-school butchers, it's, like, you know, they're reluctant to teach people things. And I really lucked out um, into a team that was, like, super knowledgeable but also, like, very eager and open to sharing their wealth of knowledge. So it worked out great for me.
0: Is your experience there – you started describing the – not necessarily difficulties but the maybe over, like how beef can be overwhelming compared to other types of meat is that one of the things that steered you away from doing beef uh, now with moonbelly?
1: Um I, I guess that's definitely part of it. Um and then also just that um like for the kinds of things that I wanted to make at least within sausage and most charcuterie projects like they're all kind of focused around pork. And yeah, that's definitely like where I feel most familiar. It's kind of interesting because I would say that there's almost like a certain amount of catharsis with it. Like if you are breaking a pig down, obviously each animal is a little bit different and you might run into something that like is a surprise. But for the most part, it's like everything is the same. So once you get down... The basics of it it's like you kind of know what to expect and I don't know it, it sounds like psychotic maybe a little bit that, that's like an enjoyable thing for me but I actually do like really love the process of like breaking everything down and boning things out and like skinning taking the skin You're off. You're basically this. Dexter. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> was there um because at uh you said Cloven Hoof. Mm-hmm. Was that the yeah na- correct. And was there you know, leading up to that, you'd worked some in the industry. Uh, was there a particular thing that you gleaned from that experience, uh, that was either something you didn't know already? Um, and like, was it that experience working with them that pushed you into thinking about business ownership or was there, Were there many things uh, in between that?
1: Um, I think that that was probably, like, the start of the push, if that makes sense. Just in that I knew, um, like I said, just kind of going into it, it it was like, oh, it will be great to, like, learn enough that this is something that I could, like, turn into a career. Um, But just with how welcoming everybody was and, like, the people that I got to work with there, too, like, I don't mean it to sound, like, pretentious at all, but, like, they were pros for sure. Um, so to be able to have that be like my first experience and like really, really learn a lot of stuff, it was like overwhelming at times, um, especially in the beginning. Cause it was just like taking on so much that I had no idea about. Um, yeah, I don't know. That just really was inspiring to me. And then like kind of gave me that idea of like, well, this is a great resource. These people are awesome. Like I still am in touch with a few of the folks there, and, like, we'll shoot them, like, literally this week, I had a question about, like, how long should I cook this thing for, and, like, at what temperature, and just texted my old boss, and he was, like, so happy to help, so <laughs> that was, yeah, I can't, like, stress enough just, like, how grateful I am that I had that experience, um, and, like, at the time that I did, too, I think, restaurants, it seems, are kind of constantly shifting as far as staffing goes a lot of times, like, I, I know with, like office jobs you know if you're at a job for five years that might not really seem like that much but within the food community I think like even three years staying in one restaurant especially in the Bay Area where it is so competitive and like there's so much going on that a lot of times people will just work somewhere for like six months learn and then peace out Um, so to really be able to spend a good amount of time there and um, yeah just learn and then continue to get comfortable with that situation um was a great experience and also like that was um aside from working on the turbo truck it was really my first experience with doing any kind of front of house work where just that you're interacting you know you're working a butcher shop the counter so you're having to like try and sell stuff to people and um I think I kind of touched on it earlier but just that it is such a foreign thing like even to people who work in food but then as a consumer too like I think that oftentimes people get very intimidated because beyond like a pork tenderloin or a pork chop, it's like, I don't know what any of this is. And um, yeah, I don't know. Just like trying to learn to, um, I don't mean it in a mean way either, not to be patient with people, but just to try to explain things in a way that is like really makes sense was a challenge for me.
0: Um, I think that makes total sense that most people, I mean, I know for me, I like eating a lot of different foods, but I, I couldn't tell you a ton about them, meat or not. Uh, and so I, I think that there is a, hopefully there is a curiosity there from the consumer um, and they're willing to come and ask questions. And then to your point, you probably do have to be somewhat patient because as you get involved in the business and become more knowledgeable, it, it's so secondhand that you forget like, oh yeah, these people don't have the you know, depth of knowledge that I have about these different pieces of meat and how they work and what to put them in, like how to cook them, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, you're both a, um, you know, you're, you're a butcher, but you're also a teacher in a lot of ways in Mm -hmm. that moment.
1: Well, and it was just so funny too, because especially in the beginning it would be like, so I don't know, someone would come up and be like, oh, Top sirloin. like, how do I cook this? And I'm like, uh, I got to run to the bathroom really quick. And then I just like Google on my phone, like, what do I do? But uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like, there are certain things, uh, I think especially like that with butchery, there's not a wide knowledge with where even like the Internet sometimes is not a great resource. Like, you really need to either have like, um, there's a few books that are really helpful. And yeah, just knowing people who already know. Know the stuff is has been immensely helpful.
0: I think that that's always the fallback for me before I start thinking about Google or even books is like, do I know somebody that's doing this right yeah, now? It or exper- like yeah, and has the like real life
1: experience with this.
0: Because you can, with that too, I find that you can cater it more to your own experience. Sometimes you read about a, a subject and you're like, okay, I, I get the the basics, but like, I have a very specific need. Yeah. You can't ask a
1: follow-up question. right? <laughs> uh,
0: so having those mentors that are able to share that knowledge with you and get into the nuances, um, can really speed things along and, 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 you know, it builds a, a good community around the art form as well, whatever it is. And that is really how, um, it sounds like your experience, uh, in San Francisco, like that, that is still very meaningful to you as you're thinking about building your own business and being able to text them with questions. Yeah, for sure, for sure. When when you started um, Moonbelly, were you thinking that it would be in Durham or had you already moved back here um, before generating the business idea or were you already thinking about it before you came um, back? To definitely
1: them? thinking about it before. Like I would say even at the point of like, leaving oakland so we did uh i lived in oakland for about three years and then my partner Hart got a job in denver so we moved to denver for like a year he was there a little bit longer because he moved ahead of me um and then we were just in portland for the last two years um but i would say like maybe in between the move from oakland to denver and then also like no shade to denver but it just like wasn't a great fit for me and so being there it was kind of like well do we go from here, move back to Durham, or should I continue to just try and, like, gain more experience and uh, maybe, like, move somewhere else on this side of the country, Um, but, yeah, it it became pretty apparent to me, like, once I felt confident enough that, like, I'm gaining enough experience that this is something that I could do on my own, I always had Durham as, like, the location that I wanted to do it in, um, because of, like I said, like just that the food scene is um, so robust. And then also like the friends and family networking and connections there, it just seemed like it made the most sense. And also like, it's funny to say now, but um, the affordability of, of cost of living seemed like, okay, well, maybe that's the ticket is to move back to Durham.
0: Yeah, it it is. I mean, while things are rapidly changing here all the time, it is still more affordable than a lot of the major cities across the country. So I guess, you know, we can't take that for granted too much, although, yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows how long that will yeah, that will years. actually last. Uh, what's been the most uh, enjoyable thing about starting your own business? Because there are so many things that go into it and obviously can be really stressful uh, because you are on your own and there are all these boxes you have to check. Uh, but there are these little moments I've found that really make it feel worthwhile. And I'm wondering if they're are some of those for you? And if you would share.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say just right off the bat, probably like the freedom of it. Um, I knew right away with um, just like how I wanted my business to present itself as far as like branding and that kind of thing goes that um, it just seems like with a lot of these smaller butcher shops, and I, I don't mean it in an offensive way at all, but just that they're often a very specific type of, like, black and white with, like, a cleaver as the logo, and it's just very rigid, Um, and I knew, especially being both, um, like, racially and um, gender-wise a minority within this industry, that I just wanted to go, like, the exact opposite direction, so I always had a really clear vision of, like, wanting to choose name-wise, like, something that sounded really fun. and Can you
0: talk a little bit more about the name? Yeah,
1: of course. So um, the, the name is Moonbelly Meat Company. Um, I mentioned before that I am adopted from South Korea. Um, and I always just have thought this is so cool. But after I was adopted, uh, my parents kept my Korean surname, which is Moon, in, like, my legal name. So, like, my full name is Anna Marie Moon Gabala. Um, so I just like throughout my entire life have always had like an affinity for moons like I, I have several moon tattoos I like usually have earrings or something I've always gravitated just towards that because it seems like one way that can kind of tie me to my roots um, in a way that nothing else really can but. Um, and then belly being something that, especially with pork, is like a very prized cut. You can make pancetta or bacon or just eat it as like a braised or roasted pork belly is delicious. Um, and I think maybe it was um, my partner, Hart, who first kind of put the two words together. And we were like, wow, that, like, I think he said it to like my dog or something. Oh, like you little moon belly. And I just thought that that sounded really cute and had like a kind of fun ring to it. Um, and we kind of workshopped, like, a few other things, but I just kept coming back to that, um, and actually had someone over the summer point out to me, like, oh, my daughter's a doula, and, like, that's actually, like, a pregnancy term, which I tried to sort of, like, survey people after I had committed to being, like, this is what I'm going with, and no one else had heard of that, so, um, I stuck with it, and now I'm really happy that I did, because I, I just think it's cute, and it gives maybe a little bit more personality to things, um, and yeah, I just think it's fun. So I
0: love that. I, I it's really, I, I think because I, the same thing for me, Buddy Ruski was a nickname that my dad used for me a lot uh, when I was a kid. And so as I was thinking about branding uh, as an adult, uh, both even before I started doing the this podcasting business, like when I got online mm-hmm. basically like when it was time to come up with Twitter handles and all that kind sure. of stuff, I was like, well, I kind of like that buddy Ruski thing. And to your point, it, it roots you in a sense of uh, place and family. And, and it's a nice story. I mean, I really enjoyed hearing you tell your story. Like I, there, there's something there. It's not just a word, but there's a lot of um, history behind it and meaning. And so I, I find that those types of, uh, brand stories really resonate with folks um and to your point too to differentiate from the other types of businesses that are in the industry you have very much made it your own and I, I think it really fits the your personality and just like the thing that you're bringing to the industry so that's really cool
1: yeah awesome thank you so much yeah i mean i even aside from the name i just knew like right from the start like i really want this to be as welcoming as possible because kind of like what I was saying before, I just feel like there's a certain amount of like condescension sometimes because this whole industry is so foreign to people as a consumer where you can go into a place and like immediately feel very intimidated or like just feel silly for asking certain questions and like I just, my whole goal with this entire business is to just do like the opposite of that and try and make it as inclusive as a space as possible and just like fun and The graphic designer that helped me with my branding is actually Hart's brother, Um, so it was nice because he made things very communicative. But very from the very beginning, I was like, I just want to use like fun, like retro font, like a lot of bright colors, and just make it like really, really cute. And yeah, just the opposite of what most people are doing right now with this industry.
0: Yeah, what is your process like uh, day to day? You mentioned that you're sharing kitchen space right now mm-hmm. um you do some delivery as well yes. um of the meat so what is that like from sort of start to finish how would folks engage with your business
1: Sure so rather than just like jumping straight into trying to secure a storefront i thought that maybe the better option would be um just renting commissary space which i was kind of familiar with um just having worked on a food truck before because Cherba also rented commissary space and then actually the last job that I had in Portland um, just based on like their business model a lot of the production which is what I was doing happened off-site at a different commissary um, facility Um, so I knew like maybe that was the way to go about things is just sort of test the waters maybe like try and get into the farmer's market or find some way to sell things that wasn't diving straight into like paying and signing a lease on a building in case things don't go well um but yeah right now I'm over at the Red Start Food Commissary and they like Matt the owner has been so 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 helpful and just really really nice about everything um so I'm extremely grateful to be there um but right now I usually um will try to like update my website every Sunday just um, like the online store of like, here's what I'm gonna have this week, um, and then on Mondays usually I'll go in and sort of have like a prep list in mind of the stuff that I'm gonna be making throughout the week and go ahead and like mise out all of my little spice kits that I'm gonna need and measure everything out. Um, Tuesdays are when um, firsthand receives their orders, so I either will have mine delivered or go pick up like whatever pork I'm gonna be using. Um, and at the moment. I would love to eventually switch to doing like only whole animal, um, but right now I'm just like not quite moving enough. So, what I've been doing is ordering like maybe a shoulder or two one week, and then half of a hog the next week, and sort of alternating back and forth. Um, so yeah, Tuesday I get the pork. I do most of the butchering and like deboning everything, and just sort of like um, assigning like this trim is going to this project, or like I'm gonna make hams out of this. Um, And then Wednesday is, like, my big production day and kind of dribbles into Thursday, depending on how much I get done on Wednesday. Uh, Try to package everything on Thursday, and then I deliver it all on Friday. Um, And then for anyone that doesn't want their stuff delivered, um, they're able to pick it up the following, like, Monday and Tuesday over at the commissary. So I'm still kind of working the kinks out, but that's what I'm working with right now. So...
0: That's super cool. Yeah, I, I think it, you're right that it was smart to get your feet wet, figuring out um, the process. And I, I, that's that's always been the uh, sort of Durham model, I think, for a lot of restaurants here. I, I remember, I guess, in like 2014, 15, um, Pie Pushers was a food truck. And then I... I will not take credit for them getting brick and mortar, but I did advocate a lot on Twitter mm-hmm. for them to eventually get a brick and mortar um, just cause I, I enjoyed their pizza so much. It's and so
1: good. I'm so happy to see that like that's th- a thriving business too. Cause I feel like when I moved away, I don't know that they had the brick and mortar yet, but I was definitely familiar with them just working all the different food truck rodeos. And we actually both, at least when I started with Cherba, we're using the cookery as our commissary space. So we would kind of run into each other every now and then, um, and yeah, their food is so good. So yeah, I'm just like, ha- so happy for them.
0: Yeah. And th- there are a bunch of other spots too. Um, uh, I've worked there, uh, on and off for a few years. They were a food truck. I guess they still have the truck, but, um, have a brick and mortar Mm-mm. space now. Um, so that model seems to work. And it also reminds me like how invested Durham gets in its restaurants or just in its businesses in general. Like, to see people make that climb from, you know, small food truck or sort of independent business into brick and mortar into like having, you know, storefronts and employees like all that kind of stuff uh, is, is really cool. And, and I hope that that continues to be a sustainable model for folks that yes. it doesn't get so uh, expensive here that people can't sort of graduate mm-hmm. um, through those different levels of business. What has been your favorite thing that you've been, uh, cooking or like putting together since you started Moon Valley?
1: Hmm. Um, okay. This is going to sound silly, but I think actually, um, hot dogs, <laughs> like I, I would guess that most people don't know that it, it's actually fairly technical, um, because any type of, A product like that, like a hot dog or bologna or mortadella, something that's very smooth like that, texturally, like if you think about when you cut one in half, it's like one cohesive piece rather than a sausage where it looks like ground meat. Um, It's because it's emulsified in that you're bringing, you start with like, fat and lean as two separate things and you're like emulsifying them together um, so it's actually quite difficult to do not to toot my own horn but like I think it's it's been an obstacle throughout the years at the different places that I've worked it's always been something that's been a little bit stressful um to try and complete correctly um and it even this go around like I thought the first time I did it I was like oh whatever like I have so much experience doing this it's gonna be easy And the first batch I was not super pleased with. um, But just in the last two weeks, I've kind of tweaked some methods and uh, just certain things that I'm doing. And this most recent batch that I came out with, I was just like beaming because I was so happy with how they came out.
0: Is there a certain way that you, um, you know, once the hot dog is made, I've seen a couple photos on your Instagram. It looks like it's more elaborate than just like your ballpark frank you know you're not mm-hmm. just like throwing ketchup on it and serving it they, they look like um I don't I mean I don't know they look like very <laughs> um, interesting presentations yeah for I don't know flavor
1: wise I think I am trying to just like st- at least for the hot dog itself like trying to keep it as Basic as possible, like I Matt, the owner of Red Start, he has. I think she's maybe like a year and a half, a small child. She might be two. I shouldn't. I should probably know that. Um, But she came in the other day when I happened to be like cooking off a test batch, and they took a couple home. And he was like, "Oh yeah, like Romy loved it. It was awesome." I was like, "That's exactly what I want to hear." Like, as far as just like a (laughs) <laughs> this is just so silly because they're hot dogs but as far as just like a basic hot dog goes it'd be great if like the flavor matches up with what people want to expect out of a hot dog but to know that like it's all coming from like local sustainable farms because that's definitely not going to be the case with like an Oscar Mayer Frank. So I'm, I am definitely trying to like stick with flavors that people are familiar with but maybe elevate them to some extent and then Uh, yeah, definitely like toppings, uh, make things really fun. And, and there's just like so many options too, when you're starting from a pretty neutral base of just a hot dog.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Are you experimenting at all with like, I mean, obviously people have an idea of what a hot dog is and the way it should be prepared, or I guess the way that it's traditionally prepared, Mm -hmm. but are you, as you're putting together, not just the hot dogs, but just the, um, the pork that you're working with in general, like, what's that experimentation process like? Are you uh, bringing in other types of spices that people don't normally combine with pork, or are there different toppings that you might be using on a hot dog that people aren't expecting?
1: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, kind of to get back to your previous question too about um, just like what's been the most fun about um, starting a business is um, it all sort of goes back to Klovenhoef. Like the whole thing there was that I did have a certain amount of freedom, like there was always staple flavors that I had to make every single week for the case, but they usually would let me just sort of, for one of them, like think of whatever I wanted to do and just do that, Um, and that's been a really, really fun part of this, is that now that I'm the owner of the business, I can kind of, as within a certain amount of means, like if it's, you want it obviously to be something that other people are going to enjoy, but Uh, that was definitely a big part of the business model too, is like, how can I make this like really fun and just not in like a gross way, but also kind of a gross way, like what's like just like stoner, like crazy, weird combinations that like you wouldn't see typically just at like a farmer's market or in the Whole Foods butcher case. Um, Like I'm trying to think of some of the more fun ones that I've done. Um, I once made like a chicken sausage that I modeled after uh, the barbecue chicken pizza at California Pizza Kitchen. Um, And I think that one came out really well. Like, it had, like, that barbecue-y flavor, but then also, like, cilantro and a little bit of pork to, like, be the bacon part of it. Or just other, like, fun ideas like that. Um, I've done, like, an anchovy pizza sausage that I think maybe not everyone loves anchovies. I really do. But, yeah, just trying to make it – uh a more unique and like really really fun very full of flavor flavors
0: that's really cool uh yeah i'm not a big fan of anchovies but <laughs> yeah. honestly like i would be worth uh it would be worth trying it just to yeah see yeah, they're what so kind of good. things they're you're just like together. salty
1: and briny and yeah i'm into it
0: do you have a favorite food that you like to work with um outside of pork
1: um i would say probably eggs I know that's, like, kind of a weird one, but I just think they're, like, so fun to cook because you can cook them so many different ways. And, like, as simple as it is, uh, I think if you're really trying to get, like, the perfect egg, there's actually a little bit of like you have to be really delicate. I always like heart will sometimes hear me screaming from the kitchen because I'm like making eggs in the morning. And if I break the yolk, like while it's coming out of the shell, I like scream because I'm like, no, that's like the one thing I was looking forward to is like having the perfect runny yolk. Um, So yeah, I think just that you can like boil them, like soft boil them, make egg salad. I don't know. That's also starting to sound silly, but just that there's like so many options and different ways to cook them and that it can get kind of technical I think is just really fun and delicious too.
0: Yeah I think eggs I mean I learned to cook eggs from a pretty early age and I feel like they're a good like starter food. Yeah
1: absolutely. If you're trying
0: to learn how to cook.
1: Yes yeah because they can be very basic and then you can also like get kind of weird with it and make it like a whole different experience so yeah that's always been really fun to me.
0: Yeah they, they blend well with other things like you can make um, I mean, I guess folks put eggs in, you know, ramen dishes, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make breakfast burritos with eggs, you can do all kinds of different things. Um, so yeah, it is another food that's like really, um, it sounds like similar to pork that you can, um, like mix and match and Mm -hmm. and sort of use it as this base to combine with a lot of different things, which is really neat. Um, cool. Well, yeah, I, I have really enjoyed hearing about, uh, all the things that, You've learned over the years uh, in in your experience in the culinary arts and how that's culminated in this business that you've, uh, thankfully for all of us, brought back to (laughs) Durham. Uh, I've noticed that more and more that people um, who, you know, we grew up with or who are from this area are finding their way back here. Um, You know, Durham is calling out to them. Yes, for sure. It's really cool to see that and, um, you know, all these different gifts that people have Uh, accumulated in these different parts of the country or the world, um, are now making their way back to Durham and are are adding to this, um, really special places. I I, I find that like as much as I, um, am, you know, talk shit on Twitter about (laughs) things that are happening here or the way it's changing Mm -hmm. or, you know, all that stuff. I I still like really enjoy being here and enjoy seeing other people appreciate what's going on here. So, um, Yeah, maybe to close, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but just um, what do you look forward to uh, now being back in Durham, both just sort of as an individual but also as a business owner?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is just um, as much as we've moved around these last few years, I always was trying to keep in mind, like, really focusing on – getting more experience and, like, trying to learn all these different techniques from all the, like, the, I worked at three different places in Denver that were all very different and, like, really tried to absorb as much information there and then also with the job that I had in Portland and, and of course, in Oakland as well. But uh, just very much, like, I had always been really looking forward to, like, wow, that's, like, a cool thing I didn't think about before and, like, I don't think anyone in Durham is really doing that yet. Um, so, yeah, just, like, trying to share all of these experiences that I've had and and try to supply, like, really delicious things to people is, like, very much something that I'm looking forward to doing, and I hope that people are open to supporting my business. One thing that I am a little bit um, not upset about but just reluctant towards is that I know that what I'm selling is, is pretty expensive, um, and I just would love for people to have an understanding of like what's behind that just that um, I think there is a little bit of a disconnect there where when people are so used to only buying like commercially processed and industrialized meat that you're getting a very different product and so of course it's gonna be much less expensive but the quality like I not to be, like, on a soapbox about things either, but I just think This is your that platform. <laughs> you
0: should, yeah, speak your mind, because um, I, I agree.
1: Just when it comes... To, I don't know, like like I was saying about, like, trying to make this as inclusive as possible, I think trying to show people that, like, you can still eat meat and be at least consciously ethical about what you're doing, and maybe that means, like, not eating meat with every single meal, but spending the money and the time and putting in the research to doing something that is hopefully a little bit more sustainable or that, um, is just a better product and like really, um, prioritizing that over like, this is cheaper. And so I'm going to spend money on that, um, is, is a big obstacle with this business. I feel like.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I also agree that I think particularly, um, with, meat and just like yeah we all can be more um, socially aware of where we're spending our money how we're spending our money also like our health you mm-hmm. know um, those to your point like the big commercialized meat the things that they put into the animals um, you know they make their way into our bodies and so yes we have to yeah, be yeah aware it's so essential
1: too that like it's just funny that you don't I mean, me included, that you're not always thinking about it as, like, it's literally going directly into my body. So, like, why would I not pay more attention to that? And so, yeah, I think just trying to really educate people that, like, this isn't factory farming. Like, these are animals that are all raised within North Carolina, specifically, like, in eastern North Carolina. With the pork, I know, like, it's all pasture-raised. Like, they're just out as far as I know, like, from the research that I've been doing and, like, through firsthand, that these animals are, like, free to roam and range and... Um yeah, it's just it's amazing. Like the quality is so much better. You can just it's like visible in a, in a raw cut of just like a pork chop that it's like, wow, that like looks better. Um, So yeah, I think everyone always is like, oh, you must eat so much meat. And I mean, aside from like the stuff that I'm making that I have to try, like I really, uh, I would say actually, the more that I've learned about the meat industry and the longer that I've been doing this, I actually eat less meat than I used too. Um, I'm eating like more of a variety of things and like trying to utilize different cuts that maybe I wasn't before now that I'm aware of them. Um, and that's like really a big key behind trying to keep things sustainable too, is like not just going straight for the filet or the ribeye and like, Oh, what's this hanger steak? Like that sounds interesting. Or just like, just trying to learn more about there's just so much to know. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, I agree. And and I hope folks will, um, consider that and continue to support your business and, um, yeah, understand that, you know, you get what you pay for. And even if the price tag is slightly higher, you know, in the, in the long run, it will be more than worth it. So, um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed Getting to catch up, because we, we honestly haven't even really seen each other, I guess, since you moved out west. Yeah, um, or
1: I mean, sometimes we would, like, run into each other, like, when I was home for stuff, but COVID kind of, like, I just didn't come home for, like, two years, yeah. so uh, that was... Yeah. Yeah. This has been great. Thank you so, so, so much. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Where can people find you uh, online? And then also it sounds like you're at the farmer's market somewhere. Where, where can people engage with your business?
1: Um, so I'm actually not at the farmer's market yet, um, but i um, probably most active on Instagram. Um, so the Instagram handle is just at Moonbelly Meat Co. And then the website where you can do all of the ordering or just check in. I try to update it like pretty frequently. Um, if there's any new announcements or obviously like restocking the store, um, is just moonbellymeatco.com. So
0: awesome. Uh, well, yeah, everyone definitely go, uh, support Anna's business, check it out, learn more about, um, the process. You got to hear a lot about it today on the show, but, um, yeah, I think that, uh, supporting local and thinking about how we can support our, our own community business owners is really important to a thriving Durham. So definitely do that. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be back uh, at the microphone. This has been the buddy Ruski show uh, excited to have more of these uh, coming up for you. You can always find me at buddy Ruski, basically everywhere, uh, website, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, I guess as well. I don't really do much on the LinkedIn page for buddy Ruski, but Um, Yeah, thank you all for listening. uh, And we look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.